and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why don't we have more people from the developing world and or from awesome places like Africa on this podcast? Well, we're going to fix that today. Very excited to talk to Anita Ihuman, who is one of our guests today. Anita was part of OSCA. OSCA is open source community. Africa, I should say, is part of. You're still around and still contributing, which is super cool. Oscar has a conference every year or so in Nigeria where a lot of people come together. And it's super cool because they've been running a sustained part of that podcast for the last few years. Now, recently they had their other session, of course. I forget what month it was in. Anita, do you remember what month it was in? Well, that was in March. In March. Thank you. And everyone, that is Anita's voice. And we're going to ask her how she is in a second. I just want to lay out a bit more context. So... It was in March. And what's really cool about this group is they managed to put out a report in like two months. As you may know, we had a sustained report for the Brussels conference that took me like two years to make with the help of many people like John Hill and Ben. And so it's just really nice to see how fast people can make it if they work together and are awesome. So I'm just really grateful for the sustained report from Oscar. And so we're inviting the people who facilitated workshops at that event as Oscar to come on this podcast and talk about what they facilitated, what they're interested in as far as sustaining open source and open source sustainability. Not that those are any different and what their personal story is. So today we're going to have two different guests on this podcast and we're going to have them one after the other. So the first one is Anita Ihuman. Anita joins us as a developer and a advocate for open source and an open source contributor, largely in the Apache sphere, but also in other places. Anita, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. I'm really excited to be on this podcast today. Excellent. I'm excited to have you here. This is really, really cool. Okay. I want to know about your story. How did you get involved with open source and how did it get you to where you are today? I started open source the same year. I started my tech journey. That was in 2020. Thanks to the pandemic. I never thought I would see this. But yes, thank, thank you, you, pandemic. Yeah, I got to hear about open source from Oscar first things first. That was the open source Africa community. And the press conference, that was actually the first conference where they shared a lot of cool swags. And I think that was a catch up for me because I really liked the free things a lot of people came back with. And I was interested, but I didn't have enough confidence to actually contribute because it's actually tricky to get into open source if you're new into the system. Then I heard of Kinong and a friend told me I could contribute, but non-code contributions. And that's where I joined the scalable onboarding team. And I was able to make a few documentation contributions. And that helps me for the wild because I was just there for about two to three months. And I wasn't getting enough impact that I wanted then I found out about um, the She Code Africa Contribution Challenge, where they said the highest contributor gets a gift. And I was interested in this one too. So I tried to contribute. And that was my first code-related contribution. And it was Leah Five Community. And well, it wasn't so smooth, to be very honest, because I spent an entire week on one issue. An entire week. And... <laughs> I had to ask questions and like delete Git like a thousand times to install it again because I was really, really confused. But at the end of the day, it got merged and 
I like the way the community was receptive. And I thought this would be a great place for me to just build my contribution journey. And I started off with very tiny contributions because at the time I was a front-end developer. So I would contribute to the UI of the website and also improve on the documentation and the readme. So I kept on with that. And over time, I realized that not only do I like engaging with people, but I also like helping other persons to not experience the same difficulties that I encountered my first one week contributing. So I started helping a lot of contributors to onboard into the community. So if you have any challenges, I'll hop on a call and walk you through the entire process and also help you to like have the great contribution experience just so you don't have to come back and tell the same story that I am telling today. Yeah, so that just went on and uh, I transitioned from the contributor with no idea of what open source is to a community manager in a space of six months. And that's how it all just began. That's amazing. That is super cool. That is fast. That is a fast (laughs) entry into open source, which is awesome. I empathize with you on the, it takes a whole week on one issue. At the same time, I'm just like, I've had issues that I've been sitting on for years, but it does. Like it takes effort to do this. And I love that you have not only dove in, dived in, divin, but also managed to help other people out, which is really, really exciting. And that you're focused on documentation. Documentation is the great multiplier. Anyone can write pretty good code given enough time and like education and willpower, all things. But it's very hard to have other people interested in working on that code with you. And that normally happens through documentation. I always see it as laying out the red carpet for other people to come help out. Now, at Oska, you were asked to facilitate the open source documentation workshop as part of the Sustain group. Can you talk a bit about how that workshop went and what it was like to facilitate it? Oh, sure. So it was actually a great experience because the previous year I attended the Sustain group and I was able to learn so much. And it made me realize that, oh, that I could actually teach, not only learn from other persons and then like the past year, they invited me to facilitate and I was like, okay, maybe I could use this to also get other people's opinion about documentation in open source. And then I led the whole section. I focused mostly on questions that a lot of people would encounter challenges in. Like the major question, which is, do you actually read documentation for a project? And I found that so many persons don't do that. Like a lot of persons don't read documentations. And their reason is, it's either the documentation is not concise enough or it's not informative enough. And that is a huge challenge because we're coming to our documentation to get information, right? But if it doesn't give us that knowledge we're looking for, then it's a big problem we're facing. And I also found out that a lot of persons have experienced bad encounters and this led them to either leaving or abandoning a project because the documentation didn't provide the necessary information that they needed. And most persons even attested to the fact that a lot of open source communities do not have quality documentation that they can bank on. So they rather rely on YouTube content or articles that have been written by other persons rather than going through our documentations, which is rather discouraging to hear. But yeah, there are so many topics and so many opinions from different persons concerning their encounters with documentation. And yeah, it was really a great experience. I love that. Documentation is hard. It's often out of date. It's often not informative. But recognizing that is the first step towards fixing it. How many people were in that workshop with you? 
in my section, there were about 15 persons. There were a lot of persons coming for the podcast. So we shared ourselves into groups, the different sustained groups. So I was uh, facilitating for the documentation. And there were about 15 persons in my section. So you've written about this on the blog. So blog.oscaeprica or oscaeprica.org slash sustain dash africa dash 2022 slash community dash report, which we'll have in the show notes. You don't have to try and write that. I also think I messed up a dash or a slash in there, so don't worry about it. But one of the things I want to bring to mind about this blog or I want to mention here is that you've written these 10 steps for what approach then do you think people can take towards achieving unified documentation standards and open source? Anita, I was wondering if you could help me out by maybe reading these out or maybe highlighting the top three out of the 10 of these different steps that you have here for what approaches you can take to build better documentation? What really spoke to you? I think the first would be actually prioritizing documentation where during the project's building phase. Now I'm going to give a quick example of this particular one. Recently, a company reached out to me that I should join their team and improve on their documentation. And they're building an open source product quite all right. So they sent me a link to the website and there was literally nothing on the website. It just had the name of the project and the goal they're working towards. But I didn't see any information that explained what this project was all about. And then I reached back to them and I'm like, okay, I was trying to read and prepare for the interview phase, but I don't seem to see any information that actually gives me enough knowledge about this tool that we're trying to build. So like, how do I get access to this? And they say, oh, well, that's where you come in. We finished building the product and we want you to actually help us with the documentation. And that is actually impossible because I have no idea what went on through the planning phase. I have no idea what went through to the building phase. So how can I magically develop a documentation from zero to hundred without the help of the engineers and all of that? That is so much work. And I actually turned it down because that's a work for a magician, to be very honest. <laughs> and I couldn't do that. So like that's a typical example of how documentation is considered in most projects. It is the last backup plan that comes up after a project is curated and the planning phase goes on and everything is executed Then documentation comes last, which is actually very, very wrong. We should prioritize documentation as much as we put together the planning and the organization of the project. So from the moment the idea generated, you should work towards documenting every bit of that project till the end of the development of that particular project. And also there should be solid maintenance for our documentation. You don't want to have a deprecated documentation that does not even align with what the code base has. That is a problem for most people. I recently tried to install a software on my laptop and I noticed that the documentation does not align with the code. So I had to go to look for a YouTube video that actually explains, say, oh, the documentation does not highlight this, but yeah, you have to use this particular line of code to make the thing work. So why does documentation not have this? Since it is so important for me to actually install this software. And so keeping our documentations up to date is a priority for every project Regardless of how much person is actually using that project, let the documentation just be as standard and up-to-date as the code base because every information that is imputed in that particular project counts and you might not know where the user will encounter an error. And also, you should try to create a very beginner-friendly project overview because that's where a lot of people focus their attention on. Most persons will not bother to read through the 
end of your documentation. We just want to look at the overview that explains a brief explanation of what your project entails and how it benefits them and how they can install it and get started. Something that goes five minutes, 10 minutes, and I'm out of your documentation. I don't have to read an entire 1,000 pages to understand your project. Yes, yeah, so those three are like top um, points for me. I like that. I agree that documentation needs to be something that you think about at the beginning of a project. Largely because if you're going to do open source, then you're already licensing it in a way that you're going to ask other people to contribute and asking them to do the hard work of like being tall enough to ride the ride before you actually build the thing. It's ridiculous. It's a whole lot easier if you make it easy for other people. I really like step 10 here or point 10, which is research the user and reader spectrum for your project and write your document according to reader spectrums, experts, intermediate, and novice. That makes a lot of sense to me. Don't just have one giant block of documentation, but think about what sort of users are going to approach this project. Now, this is great. And I think that having better documentation is awesome. I also think it's very tough to write documentation. A lot of engineers don't want to do it, not because it's something they hate, but because it's hard. And I think it's hard also because they don't like it. So it's kind of both. You're kind of the chicken and the egg problem. What I'm curious about is you have been saying you need to write better documentation. You need to write better documentation. Are there any easy steps you could recommend for engineers who don't have great approaches toward documentation, but want to get better? What do you think they can do to make it better recognizing that they've already sort of failed and maybe they need help? How can they get help easier? Well, that's where collaboration, quality collaboration comes in. Because yes, you can't do all of the work yourself. You're an engineer and you should stick to engineering. But if you work alongside with a technical writer who would actually curate or like document this process, it's make the work a lot easier for you as an engineer and also the technical writer. So like from the moment when you start to build as an engineer, you should work alongside with them. The technical writers that, yes, this is the step that we're at this particular stage. This is what this particular feature does. And this is what happens when it fails. Now, documenting that saves a lot of troubles that you would most likely encounter when you have to call in a new technical writer by the time you're done fixing the issue to actually go over this. Excellent. Anita, at the very end of this blog post about your session, you talk about how we can sustain open source communities and projects through documentation. And you have three main points there. I think this will be really relevant to our listeners. What are those three points and how do you think about them? Okay, well, the first and the major one would be for the open source community to put together a standard for documentation for every open source community or every open source project. Now, so if I'm building an open source project today, I'm saying, okay, this is documentation part. How do we go about it? Or how do we achieve 100% accurate documentation that everyone in open source would actually acknowledge or say, yes, this is good. Then... That is where the standard comes in. I can always refer back to the standard documentation that is exists and then look at it and say, okay, my documentation is good in this area or it needs improvement in this area or it doesn't align with the standards that the open source community has set for every documentation for a project. And another point is if you set a program or a community that actually reviews project documentation, I know that in the chaos community, we're trying to actually review open source projects to the point where we actually see if these projects have quality documentation. But it would also be good for the entire open source community to unanimously or like 
uniformly agree that yes, this team is going to be reviewing documentation. So if your documentation is not up to standard, we're going to either give you a badge or like drop a review that yes, this project is great or there's need to improve on your documentation in this aspect or in this particular area, just so that every open source project works in one direction. Not if I have a different documentation standard, you have a different one. And every single person is just doing things according to how they feel the documentation should be, yeah? And also the last would be acknowledging projects that follow these standards. And that's where I talked about the issuing badges or like leaving reviews after you actually go over people's documentation. So I walk through your documentation and I see that, yes, it's 90% accurate and I'm going to give you either a gold badge or a silver badge. And I'll tell you, great job. Try again next time. Or I tell you, yes, this is good, but needs more improvement. But then just some form of acknowledgement that, yes, you put in a lot of work into your documentation. It is good enough or it needs improvement. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Anita, what's next for you? Well, personally, I'm trying to build my skills. I've been trying to get into the cloud native community like for the past six months. And I'm trying to extend my strength in that aspect. Other than that, I'm trying to get as much knowledge on documentation as well as much as I can. And I've been trying to do that by writing and also speaking and advocating for documentation because I feel like a lot more speaking needs to be done for people to understand that. You can't come at the end of a project and start writing a documentation. There needs to be a lot of advocacy for that. I completely agree. Where can people find you online if they want to reach out about potential documentation, things that they need or help or opportunities? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Anita underscore eHuman with a small I. Or you can also check me out on LinkedIn at Anita hyphen human with the small i. Awesome. That's I-H-U-M-A-N? Yes. Anita, it's been great to have you on. Best of luck. Listeners, if you're interested in contributing, please talk to Anita. I'm sure that she would love to talk about documentation. We also have a discourse forum, discourse.sustainedoss.org, where we talk about documentation. And we have another podcast in Sustain called Let's Talk Docs with Portia Burden and Eric Holscher from Write the Docs Community. So if you're interested in hearing more about documentation from a Sustain perspective, do check out Let's Talk Docs. Anita, if you haven't listened to it yet, I really hope you do. And if you haven't been on it yet, I hope that you contact them about that. You can find Let's Talk Docs at ltd-podcast.sustainoss.org or just go to sustainoss.org and look at the top. Anita, thank you so much. It's been awesome to have you on. I wish you the best and let us know if we can help in the future. Thank you. It was great sharing my thoughts on this. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? How can we stop burnout from happening? Please, please, let's stop that from happening. I'm Richard Litauer and I'm really excited to have our guest on today. Our guest, Atinuke. Aluabami Kemi Kayode is a awesome developer, a Python developer as part of OSCA, the open source community Africa. And she was also at the last Sustain event, which happened there in, I believe it was March. And she helped to facilitate a workshop on burnout. And so we're really excited to talk to her. Now, Atinuke Aluabami Kemi, who I'm now going to call 
Bami, which is her name for short. Thank you. Is a community manager at Tunga and also a community manager at Laiofe. I believe I may have pronounced that one wrong. Bami, can you A, correct me and B, tell me what you do as a community manager in those roles? Okay. Thank you very much, Richard. Thanks for having me here. So it's layer five. Thank correction. You. And for the two roles. <laughs> yeah. So for the two roles, I am full time community manager at Tunga. And Tunga is a staff augmentation firm that works with African software developers. So we focus on African software developers, matching them with the European market. So we give them the liberty, the the privilege to be able to work remotely, to be able to work internationally, freelancing. So that's what we do at Tunga. While I am a volunteered community manager at Layer 5. So this is my way of paying back to the community that helped me build up my career because for me, open source is so personal. So we build up my career and I am volunteering there as a community manager. And Layer 5 is an open source community. We work with Meshri and Cloud Meeting, basically. Okay. Thank you. That sounds like really important work. That sounds really cool. As a community manager, you get to interface with a lot of different people in the community. And as you said, this is very personal to you. Personal work is work that is hardest to do in the long term, which is how we end up with things like burnout. Can you talk to me a bit about how you ended up at OSCA and how you ended up in the sustain track as the facilitator for this session? So again, say how I ended up and sustain. And open source Africa was where the whole family as a tech girl started. So I started off my career during Open Source Africa 2020. I attended the event. It was amazing. I was able to attend sustain then. But for me, attending the event was life-changing. I started off my career immediately after the event. And then COVID started, which was good for me. Yeah, people say COVID is not so good here. I mean, 20 is not so good here. But for me, it was like my heel is the year I kick off my career. And it is like an amazing year for me. So I started my journey. And in between, I was in Chicago, Africa. And then I moved to Lea 5. I started contributing to Lea 5 project. And late 2020, I fell into burnout. So that this is why it's so personal to me. I felt into burnout and it was really, really dark. It was like a dark moment. And again, it was community that was able to like pull me out of it, that was able to embrace me, that was able to see me through this dark moment. And when I got out of it, I knew I would be a great preacher of open source, of burnout, and especially mental health and burnout in open source. It can be really overwhelming and people do not really talk about it. We all talk about how developers need to like contribute to open source, where our desire have to join open source. But we don't talk about how important it is to keep our mental health, even while we are contributing to open source. So it was really important to me. It was personal to me. And actually, Bolaji reached out to me. Again, I wasn't sustained 
2021 that happened in November. But I didn't facilitate any section. I was just there. It was, it was also an amazing, amazing section. And we had, we talked about all topics, including burnouts. It stuck to me, right? And I was able to share my experience of my burnout state in 2020 during the section and 2022 when the preparation for sustain 2022 was going on. But I just reached out and said it would be like me to facilitate the mental health and burnout section. And it was, I was so excited because, yes, it's something that I'd love to see every single time I have the chance to talk about it. It was really amazing for me to anchor that section. Yeah, I get that. I COVID was also started out really well for me because I had more time to myself. I had more time outside. I was more connected to my local community. And then I also burnt out by oversubscribing to things and not realizing the cost. And burnout comes in waves sometimes. For me, sometimes it's lasted years, which is very tough. And so it's really important to recognize it and talk about it. So thank you for talking about it. As someone who's also hosted a session on burnout before, I also know how nice it is to talk about it while hosting a session on it. It's like, it feels relieving because you, yeah. you get to bring it into the air, right? Yeah. So in the write-up, which we have online about the 2020 event, this is at blog.ozcafrica.org, you have seven different points that you talk about for burnout. And rather than listing them one by one, I really wanted to focus first on, you have to reflect. You have to reflect on how you're doing and what's going on. Can you talk a bit about the role that self-awareness plays in burnout? Yeah, self-awareness is really, really important in burnout because the point where you sit down and you look back to what you've done and you are proud of yourself. Now, you don't need anybody to tell you you are good or you're bad. It is you realizing how amazing you are. So now it is about you. You have to be self-conscious. You have to be self-aware that I am doing this thing. I've done amazing things. So if I can't do this now, it is okay. I think that's really, really important during burnout. We tend to expect so much from ourselves sometimes and we just like keep putting so much and so much and so much and so much to a point where we can't even take it anymore. So it is important for us to always step in ourselves that I did those things. Count what you like. For me, either if I if anything should start happening now, I'm going to tell myself, yo, I did a lot of things some weeks ago. I've done things months ago. I've done great things. So it is okay for me to rest right now. Because we just feel a little feel sad when we're taking a rest. I don't know. We is after we feel you're not supposed to rest. You're supposed to just be working and working and working and working and working. But no, we are mortal. We have to rest at some point. And it's okay to have that rest. We have to let ourselves tell ourselves countless time it is okay for me to rest. So that's how I need very, very important in reflecting back to amazing things you've done and telling yourself, reminding yourself that, yes, I did all those things and I want to rest right now. Thank you. I totally feel that resting is awesome. At the same time, resting is difficult for some people because they have jobs. And it also puts the onus on the maintainer, the coder, the contributor, the designer, the practitioner of open source to think about themselves and how they're doing and 
as if they're the only people in charge. Now, one of the things you brought up during the session was that actually it's a company's responsibility to look after the mental health as well. It's not just you. Can you talk a bit about the role that companies and the ecosystem play in stopping burnout for maintainers and developers? The role of companies, of organizations during burnout, it can't be overemphasized because if the company are not, for me, for an individual, say you have burnout and the company do not care about it. I, I don't know how you're going to get out of that burnout easily. It is not easy. It takes a lot of effort for one to get out of burnout. And it takes community, it takes the organization to recognize that this person is doing amazing things and this person is going through this phase and they are helping you through it. It's another feeling entirely. I mentioned while I was introducing myself at the beginning that Layer 5 was able to be there for me while I was in this dark moment. I'm saying, honestly, it is a dark moment. And for community to be aware, for community to be available at that point is really, really important. So we have communities now, like Chaos Project, an open source community, that have a special place for individuals going through burnout. So you have this safe space where you can reach out to someone in the community and tell the person that I am feeling this way. I think I need a break. I think I need to take time off. I think I need two days off. I think I have to rest this time. We all know we have to work and make money, but then we also need to rest. And organizations, community, Working hand in hand with this, it is so important because one cannot keep working and working and working and say you can't go on break because you're working for an organization that do not allow you to do that. No, organizations, communities should encourage time of rest for maintainers, for developers. During the section, we talked about organizing a safe space where developers, where maintainers, contributors can come to and say, hey, I'm feeling this way, but they take a rest. And you're able to allow them to take that rest. And also, you can listen to their story when they have story to tell. Some people just want someone to talk to at a particular time. It's not so cool to make open source communities so rigid on contributing poorly. So it is also important for you to make it so friendly, only healthy environment, healthy community for these maintainers, for these contributors to be able to come and come and come again to contribute to this project. Because if the community is not healthy, if the organization is not healthy, contributors will not come back. They will not come back to contribute. So how do you want to sustain open source software if the communities are not healthy? So it is also important that organizations put efforts in helping in creating awareness of how to maintain mental health because we know mental health, burnout is inevitable. So it is important for communities to create awareness of how to handle this mental health when they have it and how to hold on to themselves and give them enough time to rest. So yes, I think it's important for communities and organizations to make those things possible in each community. 
Bami, thank you so much. I love that sentiment. I also love that you brought up things like the Chaos Project. These are independent spaces that are not necessarily organizations or companies, but can be contributed to by companies as part of a way of addressing systemic burnout, providing a space for people to lean on their communities when they need to rest. That's excellent. And you also suggest a lot of other things in this post, like take a vacation, develop new hobbies, set boundaries, which are super important. Do you want to talk a bit about boundaries? Yes. I mean, I love that part of setting boundaries. Maintainers have a lot of things to do. Contributors want to get their hands on a lot of things. So there are projects the maintainers are watching over, and then these contributors want to be like, I want to contribute to this open source project. I want to contribute to our open source project. And they're just doing a lot. And sometimes they do not even realize that the maintainers they're talking to are not machines. They are human. And they also rest. They have sleeping time. They have rest time. They have holiday. And these contributors just want all their projects to be merged, all their PRs to be merged every single time they put it up. So it is important to set a boundary to say that from this time, no more work call. That's what we talked about during the 2022. That set a boundary. When it takes me here, there is no more work call. Don't message me. When you message me at this point, you won't get any reply. till so 8 a.m. the following morning. And when it is weekend, my weekend is for me. So set a boundary. It's important to set a boundary. Even when someone from the office message you, at that time, making known to them that this thing cannot work at this time. I am resting. I am off work time. So it's just important for us to put all these things into consideration. Into, and we have to like enforce it because people won't listen. You see contributors bombarding the maintainer with a lot of mail. I review code in layer five, and I know how it is for you to be getting. At Bami, at Bami, at Bami, at Bami. So I know how it is. I have experienced it for um, So I know that contributors want to do a lot, but then maintainers are also, they are not machines, they are humans. So it's, it's important to set that boundary. It's important to say that this is my limit. This is the time I can't take work call anymore. And when you're on vacation, delete that slack on your phone. Don't get pushed during weekend. Rest, enjoy, enjoy the weather. Go hiking, go diving, go anything. Just take time for yourself. Have time for yourself. It's so important. Love that. Bami, thank you so much. This has been really excellent. Listeners, if you want to continue this conversation and hear about Alu Obamakemi's words, you can find her on Twitter at Alu Obamakemi. That's O-L-U-W-A-B-A-M-I-K-E-M-I. It'll also be in the show notes. Or you can just go to imbami.dev, I-M-B-A-M-I dot dev. Also part of OSCA and Sustain. Bami, is there anywhere else that you would like to highlight for people to learn more about burnout or the work that you do or how to build better open source software? Okay. So for me, right up, I'll just say that sustaining open source is really important for us. And part of way of sustaining it is being mentally whole right. So you can't be not mentally okay and be able to sustain open source because these people that are working, 
these people that are contributing, that are trying to make open source better and trying to sustain open source are for humans. So they, they need time to rest, they need time to have time for themselves to reflect. Should they just be them at some point and not just working and working and working? Because basically, these people also have some side job they're doing. They have their own personal life. They have their job and they still come to contribute to open interest to make open source sustainable. So I would say that there, there shouldn't be patient in the community. There should be patients. You should try to be patient with this maintainers, patient with them and communicate when you have any issue, when you have, when you're feeling anyhow, make sure you talk to someone. Don't keep it up to yourself. It is draining. It is killing. It is dark. Don't keep it to yourself. When you start feeling it, immediately you start feeling it. Talk to someone. Take that break you need at that time before it gets worse. Because it gets to a point where the break will not even work anymore. Where the breath will not work anymore. It will be so, so dark. So don't get to that part. Don't get to that stage. Immediately it starts happening. Talk to someone as a contributor, as a developer, as a designer, and maintainer. Make sure you talk to someone because sometimes questions like, so who do maintainers talk to? If the contributors can talk to maintainers, who do maintainers talk to? That's where the organization comes in. The organization providing a safe space where everyone, maintainers, contributors, can have someone to talk to. So yeah, we are going to keep making open source sustainable and we are so excited about the future because we know that the future is great with open source. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Listeners, if you're curious and you want to give feedback, you're free to do so. Again, you can at Oluwabemikemi on Twitter or you can email us, the Sustain Podcast host at podcast at sustainoss.org. You can also join in on our discourse at discourse.sustainoss.org where you can talk about current things going on in software sustainability or you could join the OSCA Discord, which is way more active than our discourse. And that is awesome. I'm not sure how to join that, but I'm sure you could Google Oscar Discord and join in. Um, Bami, this has been super great. Thank you for taking time to have this call after 6 p.m. your time because the time zones are not friendly. So I know you have boundaries, but thank you for breaking them just this tiny bit. And yeah, take care. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Richard. It was really, really nice to be here.